This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. everyone, this is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the Be Here Now Network, and I am very, very, very excited today to have back on the show a return guest who, it's been quite a while, so I'm excited to reconnect with the very um, well-known and respected uh, teacher, Tara, Tara Brock. Tara, thank you for being with me today. My pleasure. So I am going to, as I usually do, my audience knows this, I want to just read a very brief bio uh, about you, and then we're going to hop into some work you have coming up that you're doing with Jack Cornfield, another beloved meditation teacher, and um, and aside from that, see where this conversation goes in the time that we have. So that said, Tara Brock, PhD, is a psychologist, meditation teacher, and author of the best-selling books, Radical Acceptance and True Refuge. Excuse me, True Refuge. Side note, I cannot recommend those two books enough. So if you've not read them, one, I'm surprised, but two, do yourself a favor and pick them up. That said, continuing with the bio, she is founder of and senior teacher at the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, D.C., and teaches Buddhist meditation at centers in the United States and Europe. Tara's podcast talks and meditations are downloaded nearly a million times each month. Wow. Her teachings blend Western psychology, Buddhist psychology, Eastern meditation practices, and mindful attention to the inner life with a full, compassionate engagement with the world. She's leading the upcoming Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program along with Jack Cornfield, a two-year training program for teaching awareness and compassion-based practices, which is what we're going to spend a good portion of this conversation discussing as it, uh, it sounds like an incredible endeavor, one that obviously we could use now more than ever. But um, before we hop into that again, Tara, hello and, and thank you for being on the show. Mm, thank you for having me, Chris. It's it's a real pleasure. And and you know, something before we hop into that, um, I Tara and I were discussing briefly about um a book that I just had come out and um it's a series of narrative conversations I have with different um luminaries and experts in their fields and my conversation with Tara is actually the first chapter. And uh what I didn't mention to you, Tara, was that um so I've been using it as a curriculum 
at a uh, young adult or teenage uh, mental health and wellness facility working with young uh, teenagers, young men and women ages 13 to 20. Um, and we're using this book as an extended curriculum of the therapy and clinical uh, supervision, et cetera, that they're receiving. And yesterday was the first day we started with that, even though I've been um, working off and on with this facility for over three years. And we started with your chapter. And it was uh, a really beautiful experience. I do 50-minute sessions with different groups. And so it's hard, you know, to go super in-depth with each chapter in only 50 minutes. But um, everyone loved your chapter. We discussed the practice reign that you shared and that you often talk about. And uh, and I just wanted to say thank you um, for, one, being a part of that book, and two, for, without even knowing it, in having such a deep impact on uh, these youth, you know, again, that age demographic, 13 to 20, a tough age to reach and not just struggling with drugs and alcohol, but depression and self-cutting and um, suicide attempts, uh, all sorts of, you know, very sad, sad things. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Let me just uh, thank you right back. I just so honor your work, Chris. And bringing it to this population, vulnerable population, and bringing it in a way that they can, uh, they can hear and be able to help them come home to a, a place you know, where they're able to feel more connected to themselves in the world. Oh my gosh, deep, deep, keep kudos. Really glad to know. Well, thank you. And kudos yeah. back. You know, one of the things that really resonated for them was towards the end of the chapter. You And this was a conversation we had a while ago. So, you know, I, I'm not surprised if you don't remember a lot of it. But um, you were one of, I think, the only uh, people I asked it, uh, this question, which was, I spoke to the fact that a lot of the youth, and because I do work with a lot of the younger population, which I'm grateful for, um, but a lot of them are cynical and, and jaded towards the ideas of spirituality. And, and I get that and I support that. I love, you know, even in Buddhism, the Buddha in, in contemporary words essentially said question everything in his own way. You know, f find mm -hmm. out for yourself through direct experience. And you and I also talked about being a lamp unto yourself and things of that nature. But at the end, that's how we ended the chapter. And that was what really super resonated for them. You know, not only the practice and the teachings of let be and the other parts we discussed, but, you know, you talked about just finding your passion, music, art, nature, or whatever it is, and, and using that as a diving board. Um, those weren't your words verbatim, but, you know, as a way to find your spiritual, find your way into whatever form of spirituality works for you and whatever that means for you. So, um, I know I have a lot of younger listeners, so for those who haven't had a chance to read the book, I'm not trying to plug the book, but I'm just, I would I wanted to take that moment to reiterate your thoughts on that and, uh, and how, again, it, it really connected with them, and I hope it connects with uh, listeners as well. So enough about that, because this is about you, but I did want to take time to say thank you uh, and, and, you know, so the audience could hear a little bit about the impact you're having not just in the world, because obviously you're you're a very respected and well-known teacher and a very important teacher to me in my life. Uh, but this new course that you have um, that you've developed with Jack Cornfield, uh, as again, you and I were talking about before 
the conversation started. I know you did a smaller course um, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. My timeline might be a little off on that, but it was through Sounds True, and I think it was like a two-month course. Um, and I don't know if this is exactly based off that or that was the inspiration, but you know, essentially what you're doing now is you're leading this mindfulness meditation certification program, and it's through UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center. And again, I, I think it sounds wonderful. So um, not to be generic, but can you just, can you tell us, give us an overview, talk a little bit about it, what it entails and um, cause you know, two years, that's, that's a lot of time to, to get in depth into a lot of things. Well, of course I'm excited to talk about it. We're, we've got one cohort, the initial one going right now, and we've opened up registrations for the next, Oh, great! which will be, uh, next, this time next year yep. starts, but registrations are coming in. So yeah, it's a, it's a two year program and it's, it's a, it's a hybrid because it's partly online, and so you can do a lot of it online. Um, and then we have two live long weekends with me and Jack. Mm. In addition, we have amazing mentors to walk people through it, and they'll they'll get mentoring in groups, also some one on ones. Mm. They also will be in peer groups, so there's it's just very relational. Yeah. And then, of course, we have these live stream presentations from amazing world-class teachers. So what happened was Jack and I, some years back, were talking about the need for having kind of what you were describing, a program that's not for people that necessarily say, oh, I'm Buddhist or I'm this or I'm that, but a program that trains teachers to teach to anybody that really wants to learn how to meditate, how to be mindful, how to be compassionate. Mm -hmm. So it goes outside, it's secular in the sense that it doesn't pin itself to one tradition, but we wanted to do, and this is the key thing, Chris, that it had true depth, mm -hmm. that it really, really had that potential to go beyond that sense of a small, limited self to realize who we are. So. Mm -hmm. So the the gist is with this program is that it's got um, it's very it's got a lot of training on how to wake up on the psychological and spiritual levels in whatever way you want to describe it. It pays a lot of attention to how to bring mindfulness and compassion to relationships, mm -hmm. how to work with trauma, how our um, meditation really has everything to do with social activism. How do we root activism in a wise heart? And so people that do it will be, first of all, they'll be joining an amazing, diverse, stimulating network of peers, international. We've got people from 16 countries in the current cohort and more from the registrations that are coming in around the world. Wow. And just to give you a sense of, of, you know, it's not just people that are, you know, okay, now I want to be a meditation teacher that are that are just, you know, deciding on a new career. It's people already that are already educators that want to bring into education or people that are already therapists or health professionals or coaches. We've got attorneys, we've got people that are leading nonprofits. And these are people that sense, I want to be able to share what I cherish with others. I love so that. it's, there's a lot of juice around it. And, you know, Jack and I basically brought the teachings that we most value and built the course around it. And I, I appreciate that you 
you know, mention it's secular because you and Jack are known as Buddhist teachers. But what I love is that even though, you know, I'm not one to, to categorize, but labels are labels. They are what they are. And we draw inspiration from where we draw it from. But um, particularly in this day and age, of course, it's important to stay true to a particular lineage if that's where our heart is called. But, you know, I'm seeing more and more um, people interested in, I guess you could call it interfaith or interspiritual or, you know, they're, they're finding teachings and not even just from traditional spirituality. You know, it, it might be Vedanta or Zen or mystic Christianity or in my case, you know, I, I find inspiration in the writings of people like Hunter S. Thompson and Charles Bukowski and um, William Burroughs, you know, people that you mm -hmm. normally wouldn't think mm -hmm. could guide you. Or I find inspiration when I get on my skateboard and, you know, I'm practicing mindfulness. And, you know, there's nothing inherently Buddhist about skateboarding or Christian about skateboarding or just like our breath. You know, Sharon Salzberg often says there's nothing Buddhist about our breath. And, you know, I love when she reminds people of that because obviously she teaches a lot um, on mindfulness and breath work and things of that nature. So I uh, just wanted to say I appreciate the fact that I'm sure there will be Buddhism incorporated. I can't imagine there not being that element, you know, especially with Jack at, you and Jack at the helm. But um, I love how you also mentioned that there are other people um, that are a part of it. And now if, if I understand correctly, um, some of the guests that are affiliated with this program, besides you and Jack, um, so w to speak to it being uh, very diverse, are people like Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra, Dan Siegel, uh, Congressman Tim Ryan. Um, am I, do, do, do I understand that correctly? And if so, what role and what capacity do they play in that? Well, we're, we're, and there's more um, because it's actually very diverse guest faculty. One of the big things that's really important to us is uh, truly having this be diverse in, yeah. in terms of background, race or religion or philosophy, sure. or all the different uh, you know, sexual orientation and so on. Um, the roles they play, they're live streamed, and so that in the mix, um, people that are taking the course get to um, have have offerings from them and have question answer and the whole process and just to hear from some of the most brilliant and realized beings out there right mm -hmm. now. And I, I also want to just add on to what you said that I so am with you on, Chris. I, I feel like the whole direction of evolution is to go beyond particular affiliations mm -hmm. and that they serve and we can get the juice from them whether it's buddhism or this or that but really if we want to talk about like the depth of who we are the beauty the awareness the love of who we are it's it's all of us it's in all of us and you know we need to open up our terminology so it doesn't seem like it's restricted yeah. so we do that on purpose, and, um, and and it's made it to be quite a juicy process. And of course, we talk about some of the, uh, you know, origins of this or that concept or practice in Buddhism or wherever. But it it's definitely secular and, and open. You know, we have we have rabbis and ministers and all sorts of people from different traditions that are coming to get a training and awareness that they can then 
deepen their experiential contact with their own faith through. So mm-hmm. it's it's very cool in that way. I love that. And and again, I'm in no way trying to plug my book, but it sounds very similar to what I was trying to do in exploring, you know, why the underlying arc of why we return to these self-defeating behaviors um, after, you know, maybe we've been on the path for a while or been away from them for a while. or But more importantly, what do we do to truly begin to deepen our healing journeys and, you know, incorporating practices? And um, so my approach is very similar to what it sounds like you and Jack have done here is, as I mentioned earlier, have a conversation with people from all different walks of life. So no, we have you and there's Gabor Mate and uh, Ram Das and Sharon Salzberg and um, Ken Wilber. I mean, you know, just a whole bunch of different people and not just them. I mean, like Lisa Rankin. So you have doctors, neuroscientists, spiritual teachers, hip hop artists. Um, so I, I, I love that to see that that's what you guys are doing as well, because that is what it, I find, at least in my work, especially with younger people, not that I just work with younger people, but that's really what seems to be resonating for people. And I love that you said, you know, going beyond, because at the ultimate core of who we are, regardless of what tradition you're in or what you call it, you know, at least from my own personal experience, and that's all I can really speak to, is it, not to be spiritually cliche, but love or one with a capital O where there is no such thing as Buddhism or, you know, Hinduism or Christianity. It just, it's, it's pure as Adyashanti would talk about or say it, you know, pure non-abiding dual awareness. And that is not a state that I live in by any means, but it is one that I've certainly tasted and it's nice to know and have experienced that truth. Um, but the, the lineages are great means and methods to helping you get to that place or to have those experiences and even just having an awareness of them and, and uh, having that as part of your awakening process is goes such a long way in helping you not only to become more skillful with yourself and more loving and compassionate with yourself, but then bring that into the world and extend that, you know, so like I said, now more than ever, I feel like a program like this that you and Jack are doing is so important. You know, would is that something you would agree with? I mean, I'm guessing so since you're creating it and putting it out there now. So I don't mean to like ask the uh, obvious dumb question. <laughs> but. Well, there is a huge hunger. I mean, there is. The, you know, the world's speeding up. Yeah. And, um there's there's a lot of anxiety and busyness. I know for myself, when I'm really busy, my heart is not as open. Yeah. And it's there's a sense like racing to the finish line and then what? So yeah. I feel like there's this hunger for more meaning and more connection. And um, so a lot of people, I mean, science has helped to validate it. And that really, in this culture, has some clout. But a lot of people turning to meditation which means there's a lot of need for teachers and there's a surge of interest in terms of teaching we we um just to give you a sense chris right here in dc because we have um a fairly large community and a lot of teachers but we have requests beyond what we can even respond to and there's uh 
you know, we have very involved with bringing to the into school systems. So there's like over 10,000 kids that have been getting mindfulness here wow. into the prisons. We've had uh, groups of lawyers call us for training, teaching at the Humane Society, the Marriott, you know. So, and it goes on and on. This last fall, I uh, did a course for the Senate. Wow. And they're, yeah, so they have, now they've had a, like, seven-week training that we did, and we also on the House side. Uh, my, my husband just went into the National Security Council. So I'm, the reason I'm naming all of this is yeah. it's in the culture. Yes. It, there is a legitimacy now, and I know you know it because this is your work is to, yeah. to speak to that and to offer in teachings to that. Yeah. And there's a need for teachers that are really well-trained and sensitive to the trauma in the culture, mm -hmm. that are really trauma-sensitive, and that also get that um, meditation's not just about sitting on a cushion. It's also about bringing that that heart and caring into action but doing it in a way that isn't perpetuating the violence isn't making others into an enemy so that feels like a very important theme for us too yeah i love that that's something that echoes uh that i talk about often and i've written about several times is that it's wonderful to have a dedicated practice you know to formally sit on our zafu or on your couch or whatever wherever feels comfortable where you can get you know a semi proper uh proper posture excuse me um or you know attend the, the yoga class or the sangha or whatever the case may be but you know something that has been clear to me for years is people and this used to happen for me too so i you know i fall under this umbrella but um so i'll, I'll, I'll use i terminology but i would compartmentalize spirituality as something that was only happening when i was quote unquote formally practicing but then i would get up off the cushion or leave the class or whatever the case may be and go about my day you know but it wasn't until i began to understand that that formal practice which is wonderful was what was helping ground me as I went into my day and I was able to bring it into the world. Now, that's not to say I was perfect or am perfect because, you know, I still have self-will run riot at times. I'm a human being. Things happen. But Chris today versus Chris 10 or 15 years ago, it's a night and day difference. So, mm -hmm. you know, I appreciate that you said that. Um, and also you brought up which kind of goes hand in hand with meditation, though they're not exactly the same, but mindfulness, um, which it's interesting, you know, because it used to be this, uh, I don't know, you know, people would hear the word and, and kind of, not everybody, but a lot of people would kind of bat their eyes at it. And now, you know, you see it on the cover of magazines. and um, <laughs> But then uh, the flip side is you, I, I've, I've heard certain Buddhist teachers refer to it as mic mindfulness because there's been a watering down of it to make it more mainstream and, you know, just to get it into the hands of people. And, you know, so, you know, they're saying it's being compromised. Others are saying it's not. Um, so what are your thoughts, you know, about where mindfulness was, you know, however long ago versus where it is now that it's more mainstream and even where do you see it going in the next several years? Mm, mm, that's a juicy one. Yeah. 
You know, mindfulness uh, in the Chinese script, the word means present heart. Mm. And I always like to remember that because um, if mindfulness was just about the mind, I wouldn't be as interested. But it's really in, in the Asian script, the heart mind is really referred to in the same way. So it's really waking up our heart and our mind. Mm. And the way that you know, I'm sensing things going is like everything. When it gets mainstream, of course there's going to be many people who package it as, here, do this training and your executive function will go up and you'll have more clarity and you'll be more successful and it'll go more on the surface of what the ego is attracted to. And then there's going to be other people that get a whiff of, oh, learn to train my heart and mind so I can really uh, evolve and become all that I am, and I can really sense the the loving awareness that's my source. Yes, so mm-hmm. you know I see that in others, and so it's gonna it's gonna be different. It's gonna be packaged in different ways. But what I've noticed is, even when people go in with an intention that you might call more shallow, they begin to learn to pay attention in a way that actually naturally wakes them up. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a huge trust that true nature is in all of us and and true nature wants to wake up to itself and that you know it's okay if we go in with mixed or marbled intentions you know i'm not as worried about mcmindfulness i think in fact it's expected Hmm. i sense also that i i do trust that human consciousness is evolving there's a waking up going on and i've been reading some about you know, historically about the way our brain has developed, how, uh, well, I'll just toss this out for a moment, Chris, because yeah. I find it so interesting that, you know, for millions of years, we were kind of in the middle of the food chain. And then about 70,000 years ago, there was a cognitive revolution. There was this huge brain spurt. Right. And our frontal cortex started developing like crazy. And that's when executive function and reason and planning and communications Humans could start collaborating. We Human societies grew and were able to be in relationship with each other. It was like this movement to a yeah. now an interdependent globe. Yeah. So we shifted to the top of the food chain and got identified with our mind and with our ego self. Right. Well, right now, there's another revolution going on, which is every bit as dramatic, where now humans are learning to train their own minds, in other words, to change the structure and function of our own minds towards, truly towards compassion and wisdom. Yeah. So to me, mind, that's what, when we talk about mindfulness or trainings in compassion, we're really talking about paying attention in ways that evolve our own consciousness mm. in a new dimension so that rather than being identified with the, the self or the mind that's now operating on the world and being the top of the food chain, right. you start opening to the shared one awareness heart that's really living through all of us. And to me, that's, oh my gosh, what a beautiful thing to sense we're at that juncture in our development. Very yeah. yeah, well said. Um, I, and and I, I definitely agree. I see both sides of it because, I mean, we also see what's happening with the political climate, not just here. Um, and we don't even need to name names. It kind of goes without saying, um, you know, there's 
there's there's um, some questionable characters, to put it as politely as I can, um, running certain governments in certain countries. So I absolutely agree. There is this wonderful, beautiful transformation of consciousness that's continuing to evolve. And I remember I was talking with Mirabai Bush a while back, um, visiting her and and um, and we were just sitting there uh, sharing tea and she was talking about, you know, Chris, we saw this in the 60s with the Vietnam War and, and uh, segregation and racism and, you know, we overcame that. So I do believe we will overcome this. Granted, our own personal president and then the, I don't know if it's president or whomever uh, of North Korea, I don't know his official title, but, and then Putin, you know, you have all of these people at the helm. It is both inspiring and scary, you know? So um, it, it's just, it's an interesting time to be alive. And it makes me think of a conversation I had with Barbara Marks Hubbard not too long ago. Who, um, for those who don't know her work, she's very well respected uh, in the field of evolutionary consciousness, kind of what you were just speaking to. Um, and she made the point that, you know, as long as we don't blow ourselves up, which God forbid that happen, um, you know, it, it, it would be ignorant for us as human beings um, to think that this is the last stop of our evolution, which mm -hmm. many of us have. And so I'm glad that you brought up that very uh, beautiful point and quite eloquently that, you know, there is this transformation of consciousness happening because she took it a step further reminding us that if you look at evolution from, you know, amphibians to, you know, to our, uh, what was it, mammal, and then caveman, and, you know, the development of our brains, um, you know, obviously now we do have these neocortexes, and um, the ego gets involved, and um, she's like, you know, mankind is not all mankind, because, again, transformation of consciousness is happening, but a lot of mankind is kind of caught in this egoic, um, almost irresponsible. I don't remember the exact word she used, but, like, this is it. This is the end. Like, we are the be-all, end-all. But she was like, as long as we don't blow ourselves up and we keep evolving as we have, then at some point she's like, I, I expect to see light beings, you know, rather than actual physical bodies. Mm -hmm. Now she's like, I would not guess to even put a time on that. And I know we're getting kind of off topic, but really, if you think about it, the evolution of atoms to molecules, to cells, to organisms, you know, and just how miraculous and um and how beautiful things can continue to get if we step up and do this work and more people partake in these programs that you and jack are putting out there and i know others are doing not the similar programs but there's just so many wonderful teachers out there that really are coming from a sincere place of the heart they're not looking to make money they're looking to really help transform humanity for the better um and so, again, I think that's wonderful that this program is there um, and, and not just for people in the quote unquote spiritual meditation field. But like you said, that across the board, you know, I, my brother's a high school math teacher. I could see, you know, teachers, as you mentioned, it's being brought into schools. I could certainly see how teachers, you know, could benefit from this. I remember speaking with um, 
and I'll shut up after this, but all these thoughts are coming to mind, but uh, Stephen and Andrea Levine, um, before Stephen had passed, and they said something that sticks with me to this day, and they said, you know, could you imagine if we taught in every classroom across the U.S., say around third grade, a compassion class? Why do we not have that in our curriculums? And I remember I've talked to people about that, and part of the argument I'd hear is, well, that's something that should be taught at home, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, prior to writing and speaking, worked in the elementary school systems, and I don't like this word, but it is what it is. I worked in what was considered high-risk high schools, a lot of low-income, single-parent families. Um, I also did one-on-one youth mentoring uh, in conjunction with the Department of youth and family services and there are plenty of young people you know young children boys girls that don't know what compassion is are not being taught compassion i remember a parent having a conversation he's like you know saying if my son is getting bullied i've sat down and told him you punch him in the face and it's like wow i understand we need to defend ourselves if the need be but if that's what you're teaching your son who's in third fourth fifth grade like we're in trouble, (laughs) but then we have what you guys are doing and it's beautiful and so needed. Um, So yeah, I'm sorry, a total tangent and I do not mean to hijack this conversation by any means. It's just, it's uh, brought up a lot of, of my own, um, my own thoughts on the, on the subject, but people are are listening for you. You're my guests, not me. So did anything up come up for you out of that whole diatribe I just unleashed upon you? <laughs> well, I share with you um, the sense of how we can bringing into the schools, teaching our young people is the hope of the future. And the Dalai Lama said if, if every second grader was taught uh, meditation, there would be no war in the next generation. So I'm right there with you. I, I feel like... Um, there is a tug between the conditioning of our, of our, you know, survival brain that's trying to survive and be scared and is scared and considers others as bad others. And I think that the leadership you referred to is living from a much more limbic survival brain place. And there's a tension between that and this deep part of all of us that wants to wake up and sense our connection. And so one of the powerful things about having more people practice and more people teach about mindfulness and compassion is we wake up out of what I call the the unreal other. Mm. Yep. When, when we're caught in a small place, others become like these two-dimensional figures that we tend to slap our judgments onto and we forget you know, their, their humanity, we forget the vulnerability that's there. And I often share the metaphor of if you imagine walking in the woods and you see a little dog and you go over to pet the dog and then the dog kind of lurches at you with its bangs bared and you go from being friendly to going, you know, bad dog, but then you see that the dog's, one of the dog's paws is in a trap. Right. And then you go, oh, you you poor thing. Now, you might not go near it because you don't want to get bit, but your heart has opened. Yeah. Whenever we are blaming and judging another person, whether it's a political leader or a friend that we feel has betrayed us in some way or whatever, 
we're not seeing the whole picture. We're in a trance. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean we don't feel hurt and we take care of our own hurt, but we can see that the other person, when people are suffering, then they cause suffering. Yes. That just happens. Yeah. And so I sometimes think of it that the training we're talking about, Chris, both of us and the way we're teaching, we're teaching people to make a kind of U-turn and rather than blame the world or fight the world or grasp onto the world, it's to turn the attention and be really like 100% responsible or able to respond to the pain that's inside us. Yeah. Because in a moment that I'm blaming someone, I am not tending to the wound inside me. Yes. So it's like, how do we begin to first bring our attention right to the vulnerability that's here and have the courage to be with it? So then when we speak or act, we can come from the most awake place in us. It's like Gandhi described how he took a day off each week so that he could have his actions come from his most awake heart. Can we do that with ourselves so that with our children, our parents, our friends, or right here, you and I talking, that there are those pauses so we can keep on connecting right. to the awake place in us. I absolutely love that. And, you know, we, you and I discussed that in that first chapter of, uh, of my book. And um, uh, a 16-year-old young, young lady actually brought that up specifically uh, in one of the sessions yesterday. And she was saying how grateful she was that we, or you had discussed that, you know, she said she never understood until she read that, that that is how she is towards a lot of people. She lashes out. And I said, yeah, you know, there's a a, a kind of cliche saying, but it's cliche for a reason. And that's because it's very true, which is that hurt people hurt people. And so, you know, when we become responsible for our actions and more skillful for our responses to other actions, you know, we're doing basically all we can do um, in that moment. So an example I used with her was uh, of our president, for example, someone I have a very difficult time cultivating compassion for to be completely transparent i love the fact that ram das has a picture of him on his puja table you know next to Mm -hmm. maharaji and whomever else christ and ramana maharshi and 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 sure enough it used to be george bush and now it's donald trump um but i said to her i'm like you know on a good day and i and i stress on a good day i am able to listen to this man and his ignorant words and beliefs and listen beyond them and look beyond his actions and see that scared seven-year-old boy inside that's lashing out. You know, similar to that dog that you mentioned that's caught in a trap. Now, that is in no way Mm. me trying to excuse this man's actions or behaviors because I completely disagree with 100% of what he stands for, what he says. However, it helps me, instead of then bashing him and bashing those who support him instead open myself up and hey let's have a a conversation help me to understand why you support this person you know what is it about him and now that he's been in presidency for over a year 
why do you still support him? You know, I lo- I know he's lost a lot of followers because he's followed through on virtually none of his promises um, that got him elected. But still, there are those staunch people. And so instead of it just being, you know, head to head, you know, fist to fist, like I'm right, you're wrong. It's like, no, let's talk about it. Help me to understand why you feel the way that you do. Um and, and not just with him, you know, he's the easy go-to example in this day and age, but just in general, you know, it, it allows, I find at least myself, and I love that this young lady said she had the same revelation that it allows us to show up in the world from a more compassionate, curious, uh, non-responsive way, a more skillful way, not to say that we won't still have those things happen because I, like I said, I still certainly have. And so I guess that kind of leads me to my last question. Cause I know we have maybe five minutes if we're lucky. Um, but you know, so talking about that and seeing at least the way that I've changed over the years in my practice and, and know I will continue to change and grow and, and speaking about this young woman's revelation through your words, you know, you've been teaching meditation since I think around 75, give or take. How is your own practice and understanding and just being in the world uh, evolved? I know that's a big question, but <laughs> for five minutes, but you know, if, if you could nutshell it for us, uh, what's yeah. your own experience been? Well, thank you for the question. It's a, it's a, actually a sweet one. Um, you know, when I started, I had a lot of striving in my practice. I was trying to get somewhere and be a better person. Yeah. And it came out of, as you know, like that, what I call the trance of unworthiness. Right. That's not okay. Yeah. And that's changed. I, I um, don't feel so identified with a person who's either great or terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, just, we've got to... Oh, I hear an airplane, it sounds like. Flying over us, here we nice. go. Yeah, so, so my practice is more, um, it's more relaxed, a more resting back. It's like instead of a self that's meditating, trying to get better, it's reality's meditating or awareness is meditating and noticing and, and intending to love the forms that are arising. And just to, to anchor that more, um, there's less lag time, Chris. I sometimes think of it as lag time when something gets triggered, a reactivity, and then the noticing, oh, oh, okay, just got triggered, you know, and, and, and then being able to come back into a more whole and present and open-hearted space. So it still happens. I still get triggered every single day. Sure. You know, certain thoughts come up and a certain reaction will come up, but there's just less lag time to coming back into a kind space. And then the other thing, where my current, uh, a lot of my current attentions are, is um, I'm kind of stunned still at this, at at unseen bias. Mm. How many levels of conditioning are in this body-mind to see others as, unreal and less than and it's you know it's so much in our culture you know that to have you know it's a hierarchy where you know white is superior or certain religions are superior or being hetero versus um different sexual orientations not that i think it's true but we subscribe without knowing it just so much so i feel very humbled 
at, in this wake-up process of, of noticing how much in every encounter there's conditioning that that makes it so I don't really get to see who's there. On some level, there's a, a who's more powerful or a good or a bad that's been conditioned. And I spent uh, three and a half years with a multiracial group looking at, you know, how are we taking each other? Who are we seeing? Yeah. What's the biases? That just was heartbreaking and beautiful and, and, and did a year long on white privilege. And I still feel like, you know, it just takes its time. Yeah. And it takes what you said, Chris, which is getting to know people. If we don't get to know people who we are conditioned to perceive as unreal or different, then we're living in a very small world. Yeah. So for me to get to know someone who, for her bringing up her child and knowing how she was afraid of him getting being out on the streets. He, she was afraid every time that he wouldn't come home because um, being an African-American in the streets of D.C., it's not safe. Yeah. Our, another woman who, when she was young, would get driving with her father and seeing her father's shame when he got stopped by the police. Mm. Another one whose grandson was in jail. I'm, I'm just giving you examples. Yeah. It's like broke my heart because I realized, wow, I don't live with that. Yeah. I feel like a, a deep part of our path is to, it's not to think we're there, but just to have that um, that longing to be as awake as we can be and then keep willing to look at the conditioning and not make ourselves bad or wrong for it. Yeah. Just hold it with a kind heart, and we need to do that with each other. Otherwise, we get stuck. And I couldn't ask for a more beautiful way to bring this conversation to a close. Tara, as always, it's an honor and a privilege to share time and space and listen to your wisdom. I thank you deeply for the work you're doing in the world. Um, first of all, before we get to where we can find out more about the program with Jack, um, I apologize and amateur hour over here. I forgot to grab your website address. So would you mind sharing that with the audience? Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. My website is tarabrock.com. Oh, easy enough. T-A-R-A-B-R-A-C-H.com. And to find out more and to register for the Mindfulness Meditation Certification Program, you can either go to my website because it's right on the top right of the home page. Great. Or it sounds true and just search for Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification. Wonderful. Get to it. You'll get to us either way. Great. Yeah. And for anyone listening, checking this out on the Be Here Now Network, um, the links will be included. So just scroll down a little bit and you'll see the links. Just click on them and they'll take you right there. So Tara, as always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to connecting again with you very soon. It's a pleasure to hold hands on the path, Chris. Oh, thank you. Be well. Yeah, you too. Thanks. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. 
It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.